election, and this could spark an outflow of cash. You're listening to the news on RTHK. An international station for an international city. This is Radio 3. Good morning for me, Peter Lewis. It's 8.03 in Hong Kong on Monday the 20th of June. Welcome to a new week of Money Talk on Radio 3. The State Council on Sunday appointed the principal officials of Chief Executive Designate John Lee's Cabinet. Incumbent Financial Secretary Paul Chan will stay on in his position and Michael Wong, current Development Secretary, will fill the newly created post of Deputy Financial Secretary and take responsibility for the Housing and Development Bureau. Secretary for Financial Services and the Treasury, Christopher Hoy, will remain in his post. The only businessman on John Lee's team, Algernon Yao, the CEO of Greater Bay Airlines, will lead the Commerce and Economic Development Bureau. John Lee said on Sunday that members of his cabinet are united and loyal, with an emphasis on policy execution and efficient governance, and he held it as a diversified team. He said his cabinet will spare no effort in tackling social issues such as housing, the city's income gap and youth development. Outgoing Chief Executive Carrie Lam said on Sunday that Hong Kong's COVID-19 entry restrictions, which she introduced, are untenable and the city should decide whether to fully reopen to the world by the end of this year to revive its economy. She said members of the business sector were losing patience with the entry curbs, adding there's less time to make the decision if the city is still sticking to the existing border control measures in the coming half year or by the end of this year. I will be a bit worried, she said. Hong Kong's jobless rates fell to 5.1% during the March to May period, 0.3 percentage points lower than the February to April period. And the latest underemployment rates was 3.5% down from 3.8% in the previous three-month period. And global equities stabilised Friday at the end of a torrid week, which saw the FTSE World Index lose 5.7% and slip into a bear market, down 23% from last November's record high. It's the worst weekly performance for the global index since the depths of the pandemic in March 2020. On today's Money Talk, we're joined by Sam Favreau, Chief Executive Officer of Mandarin Capital, and John Schofield, Managing Director of Tempest Investments. With a view from mainland China is Shanghai-based independent economist Andy Sher. On Wall Street last week, US stocks wiped out all of the gains from 2021. The S&P 500 rose 0.2% Friday to 3,675, close to an 18-month low, but ended the week 5.8% lower. That's its worst weekly performance since March 2020. The benchmark index entered a bear market on Monday and is down almost 24% from the record high reached at the beginning of January. The Dow lost 38 points to 29,889, falling further below the psychological 30,000 level that it breached last week for the first time since January 2021. For the week, the Dow lost 4.8%, the worst decline since October 2020, and the Dow has now had 11 down weeks out of the last 12, something that's never happened before. The Nasdaq Composite rebounded 1.4% Friday to 10,798, leaving its losses for the week at 4.8%. 
And the index is down over 33% now from last November's all-time high. In Europe, the regional stock 600 index rose a third of a percent for the week. It was down 6.6%. The UK's FTSE 100 dropped 0.4% Friday, extending its losses for the week to 4.1%. Hong Kong stocks finished Friday on a positive note as bargain hunting in tech firms helped to offset growing worries about rising interest rates around the world. The Hang Seng jumped 230 points, that's 1.1%, to 21,075. For the week, it was down 3.4%, but the Hang Seng has rebounded uh, just over 14% since hitting a 2020 low in March. The Hang Seng Tech Index surged 2.3%, reducing its losses for the week to 3.6%. Mainland China's three major indices all paired opening losses on Friday to close in the green. The Shanghai Composite added 1% to 3,317. Last week, it was a haven from the global turmoil, rising 1% over the five days. And in Shenzhen, the Chinex jumped 2.8% for a weekly gain of 3.9%. Commodities were lower on the week, and mid-recession and monetary policy tightening fears, oil prices fell sharply on Friday over concerns that rising interest rates could slow economic growth and squeeze crude demand. The price of Brent crude oil settled down 5.5% on the day and at the lowest level since May the 20th. This morning, it's at $114.03 a barrel. Copper fell over 6% last week. Dull gold, uh, that declined 1.7% over the week to 1839 In the government debt markets, US Treasuries recovered Friday with the yield on the benchmark 10-year US Treasury note falling 7 basis points to 3.23% after sharp swings in recent days. And the Bank of Japan on Friday it bucked the trend of other major central banks last week by maintaining its ultra-loose monetary policy. The Japanese central bank held its policy interest rates at minus 0.1% and maintained the 10-year JGB yield target at about 0%. The yen, that moved wildly against the dollar immediately after the announcement, first weakening, then sharply strengthening before weakening again. The currency tumbled as much as 2.3% in Asian trading on Friday, but remained off of its 24-year low of 135.6. It closed Friday's session in New York 2% lower, and this morning it is at 135.19 against the dollar. The euro is trading at $1.05. The British pound, that buys $1.22 and a quarter cents and nine Hong Kong dollars and 59 cents. The Chinese yuan is at 6.71 against the dollar in offshore markets. And the crypto market also had a crazy week after one of the largest crypto lending platforms, Celsius Network, told customers it was pausing all withdrawals. And in Hong Kong, the digital asset lender Babel Finance also froze withdrawals. Bitcoin fell for a record-breaking 12 straight days into Saturday, slumping 34% from a week ago. And on Saturday, it fell another 14%, dropping below 20,000 and reaching a low of 17,600. This morning, it's rebounded to $20,500. And around Asia-Pacific stock markets this morning, the SX200 in Australia is up about 0.2%. Nikkei 225 in Japan has opened a third of a percent firmer. Uh, the Cosby in South Korea is down about three quarters of a percent and looks like no change for the Hang Seng at the open this morning.
time's coming up to 8.11. Let's welcome our guests. We have with us Sam Favre, Chief Executive Officer at Mandarin Capital. Morning to you, Sam. Good morning, Peter. And also with us, John Schofield, Managing Director at Tempest Investments. Welcome back, John. Yes, hello. Morning, Peter. Uh, the State Council on Sunday, it appointed the principal officials of Chief mm. Executive Designate John Lee's Cabinet, mm. Eric Chan, uh, who was the Director of the Chief Executive's Office under outgoing leader Carrie Lam, has been named Chief Secretary. Incumbent Financial Secretary Paul Chan will stay on in his position and Michael Wong, who is the current Development Secretary, will fill the newly created position of Deputy Financial Secretary. Secretary for Financial Services and the Treasury, Christopher Hoy, will remain in his post. And the only businessman on John Lee's team, Arjun and Yao, who's the CEO of Greater Bay Airlines, will lead the Commerce and Economic Development Bureau. Incumbent lawmaker Sun Dong has been named Secretary for Innovation, Technology and Industry. He will resign from the legislature. And Commissioner for Labour Chris Sun will replace Lord Chi Kwong as Labour and Welfare Secretary. Um, Sam and John, let me get your thoughts. Some familiar names in that. Uh, I suppose the most uh, important thing from our perspective is stability amongst the financial portfolios. Paul Chan uh, stays as Financial Secretary. And Christopher Hoy remains as Secretary for Finan uh, the Treasury and Financial Services. Um, what are your thoughts on the lineup? Uh, yes, indeed. There's, uh, I suppose it's reassuring that um, we've got an element of continuity. Um, slight concern about the lack of emphasis on the, on the business economic side. Uh, as you say, we've just got one new uh, appointment from outside. Uh, usual circles. Um, Is that sending a message, do you think, about what the government's priorities might be? And maybe the business side is not the top of the priority list. Uh, well, that's a concern. Um, you know, businesses like will, will be happy if they're left alone. But I think that the urgent need, a uh, very interesting intervention from Carrie Lam um, yes. on, on, on departure, <laughs> handing, uh, handing the, uh, the poison chalice over. Um, you know that's obviously going to be the key key issue from our point of view. Is Hong Kong going to be able to open up in the coming months? And um, you know, John Lee and team have been remarkably silent on on, on all that. Is this an odd comment she made, wasn't it? She's basically mm. saying that these COVID-19 entry restrictions, where you have yeah. to quarantine uh, for seven days, yeah. even if you're fully vaccinated, you've got to provide this uh, proof of a negative result from a nuclear acid test uh, within 48 hours of departure. These are uh, measures she introduced, but she now yeah. says they're untenable. Uh, yes, it's extraordinary, uh, Vault Fast. I mean, it was only a week ago we were not going to give a single inch uh, on any of this. Um, that was obviously a, a short-term uh, statement uh, up to the up to the, the handover date. Um, but uh, yeah, she's, she's presented her successor with a, a very big challenge. Sam, what are your thoughts? Well, to Caroline's comment, it's very interesting. The real question is then why haven't these measures been uh, removed? So uh, was she not in her power to do so? And the fact that we have a new cabinet who is going to be, as I mentioned, the continuity and very, you know, technocratic, uh, will they have any power to actually uh, change those measures? So um, that's to me, is the, the real question. And or will they go in the other direction and maybe introduce further restrictions, maybe mass testing? That I'm not sure because uh, they still have to deal with a different situation compared to China. So they will have to make a choice, I'm sure. 
uh, if they do that, I mean, Caroline was saying the uh, business and especially the international community were losing patients. If they do that, I think they will completely lose patients because I think they have lost most of the patients already. And you will see another wave of outflow. And I'm not sure Hong Kong can really afford this at this stage if they really want to remain kind of a gateway to China. They mm. still need international community. And so. what, what about financial stability? Clearly, financial stability is going to be important, isn't it? We've got worsening geopolitical tensions uh, between the US and China. We've got rising interest rates around the world. That is really going to be the number one challenge, isn't it? Which is presumably reassuring why they've left uh, the financial team in place. Yeah, that's definitely some kind of stability. Also, uh, I... I quite, uh, I'm quite in line with the commentary from the uh, HKMA about the danger, which means that the whole uh, administration is fully aware of the challenges ahead. And, you know, 1997 sounds very, very far for, for a lot of people with uh, very, very few memories. But we, are, we have replicated the situation in the 70s with inflation, and we are coming up with this potential massive outflow from, from Asia and also these inflation expectations which are going to come into the uh, into the picture with the devaluation of currencies because we we are talking you were talking about uh, Japanese yen but they're all moving uh, you know in tandem you look at Korean won moving down 20% Indian Indian rupee has been at the lowest for uh, historically record, record so low, yeah. record low yes yeah, so there is really a big uh, concern um, for the maybe not for the, for the next quarter but this thing is going to come into play within the next year for sure mm-hmm. and that's on the back with a highly leveraged economies and financial uh, you know and financial markets uh, so every uh, every increment in interest rate is going to be demultiplied by law so the impact could be severe i think we have an administration which is fully aware of that are you concerned also, John, by Eddie Yu's comments, or do you agree with them that uh, we could see capital flight from Asia, including here in Hong Kong? Uh, yes, I think Hong Kong, for the specific reasons we discussed, um, whether or not we're going to be able to, to, to reopen and resume business. Um, of course, the, the Hong Kong dollar is likely to, well, will we'll stay uh, in the peg for, for, the, for the time being, and we're going to see higher dom- domestic interest rates, which is... Um, you know, good news for the exchange exchange rate, um, but maybe, uh, but uh, potentially deflationary, obviously for the for the domestic economy, mm. particularly the the you know the housing market, the pro- property market. John Lee says he's going to be results orientated. So, what results will you be judging his team's performance on? What do you want to see in particular? I mean, for business. I mean, for me personally, it would be to reopen the uh, to reopen the borders. That's definitely one thing which is given for redoing business, mm-hmm. and that includes the world and China, because at the moment, really doing business into China from Hong Kong is very, very difficult. So that's definitely one from business people. I think the other one is going to be the one which has been in uh, you know the elephant in the room for the last twenty years, which is the housing problem, and mm-hmm. everybody is waiting for the measures, including China, which I think mm-hmm. is a huge problem for them for guaranteeing the stability of Hong Kong. So I think that's going to be the two most imminent mm. uh, measures he will have to deal with. And that falls into Paul Chan's portfolio now as well, doesn't it? Because housing and development uh, comes under uh, his remit. He's got a deputy financial uh, secretary now who was the current development secretary to fill that uh, position. So presumably this is going to be a major, major challenge for them. Uh, yes, well, uh, having better coordination across government departments obviously was signaled by Carrie Lam uh, some months ago with this this restructuring um, we you know let's see how that how that works uh, if it if it 
becomes uh, you know getting things done more more quickly and efficiently and and rationally um, that that will be welcome obviously now obviously the other thing that we're facing here is significantly rising interest rates we saw it last week with mm. the fed with the bank of england uh, even the Swiss National Bank, which is probably, I would say, the most dovish central bank in the world, surprised markets and raised uh, rates. The only one that didn't uh, last week was the Bank of Japan, uh, but that was uh, expected. But nevertheless, it seems now that markets are pricing in a significant tightening of financial conditions globally. What's the impact of that going to be? Uh, yes, well, we've got uh, we're in the, in the middle of a, a bear market, which I suspect will will uh, carry on for, for, for quite a little longer. Um, but uh, I think the point I made, made previously, we've already got, in the US, we've got um, longer-term interest rates are, are approaching something like a, a reasonable level with nearly 3.5% on a 10-year ten ten bond. And this, this uh, in, the, in the medium term, I think, is, is, is good to rebalance, um, rebalance the financial markets away from you know high highly speculative equity uh, and other asset uh, buying um, but on the other hand we're gonna see um, you know the bubble the bubble is uh, is bursting in uh, or has burst uh, in many many sectors now yeah. uh, including crypto this is going to be very deflationary because of the uh, the revenues you know the US Treasury revenues from from capital gains and and, uh, and and the financial markets generally are, are possibly going to going to shrink. Mm -hmm. You know, if the uh, S and P's trading at well now thirty thirty percent down, um, sorry twenty three percent down, but probably going to go lower. Um, that could be quite deflationary. Um, I'm slightly more optimistic that the inflation will peak. Perhaps sooner than than, than most people expect. Uh, so because we're seeing all these uh, commodity prices. Does uh, that mean interest rates maybe won't go up as much as the market is pricing in? Um, no, I, th I still think the Fed has a job to do to get get the short term rates up to you know normal levels, whatever that may be. Uh, you may recall they started doing this in 2018, mm. and then pulled um, out pretty quickly, and didn't then they? Because Trump, Trump. Uh, Trump made a fuss because he wanted the Dow to be above <laughs> 30,000. So they reversed. Uh, and, I mean, we could have had a, a normal cyclical bear market back, back then, which would mm. have been in line. But uh, we've had uh, two big bursts of uh, QE since then, which had driven financial you know, asset prices up to uh, unsustainable levels. And, uh, you know, that's just got to be reversed. I don't know where it's going to end up. Uh, Sam, what are your thoughts? Well, I think it really depends what you're talking about. Military tightening. I think in the US, people haven't. Actually, I don't think the markets have repriced in the relaxed extent of the inflationary pressure because even if it has peaked, it doesn't mean it's going to come back down to two percent straight away. Inflation mm. expectation is something very perverse, and which stays on for a very long time. And realistically, with rates at three three and a quarter at the moment versus you know rates at eight point four, the the differential for real yield is, is still huge. Mm. So we will have significant tightening to go for the U.S. market for the next. I mean, I mean for the next year clearly. Then how it's going to come down is going to be the real issue. And everybody who is betting that these expectations are going to go down very quickly, I think, are on for a shock. We are we are in this inflation mess for. A few years, definitely. So does that mean this bear market? This this has been the worst quarter on record now 
uh, for a combined portfolio of stocks and bonds. Uh, does it mean the bottom still isn't in yet? Probably, but it doesn't mean that we're not going to see some uh, bounces ac- across the r- along the road as well. For uh, if we were talking about the U.S. markets, because it's all going to be about uh, revision of expectation of these rates up. So mm-hmm. it's going to be in cycles. We had the Fed, we had the Fed tightening. So this pricing risk short term is obviously mm-hmm. going to result to mm-hmm. to decrease, and people are going to focus on earnings, whether it's still holding or not, and then welcome the next cycle of tightening. So I think you'll see those cycles in the markets. Uh, probably with a downtrend, but it doesn't mean that you won't be able to trade up as well. Now, Hong Kong to me is a different situation because in terms of tightening, uh, we are quite far behind the curve because the effects of the US tightening are deferred. And if you look at the interest rates in Hong Kong, they haven't, you know, they haven't barely moved up. Even the banks haven't moved their, their, prime, their, their prime rates yet. So if you just look at high boy, it's just gone up for the short, it's triple, but it's only 0.5%. Mm-hmm. So the effect of the tightening on the Hong Kong economy is marginal yet, but it's going to be quite significant for the next round of tightening. So, okay. All right, well, plenty to think about there. Love to talk more, but sadly we're running out of time. Uh, that's Sam Favre, Chief Executive Officer at Mandarin Capital. John Schofield, who's Managing Director at Tempest Investments. Five six seven AM Radio Three. Hello, this is Uncle Ray. To fight COVID nineteen, we need to pay attention to our personal hygiene and follow the social distancing protocol. And of course, getting the COVID nineteen vaccine is the best way to protect yourself and your loved ones. We will fight this together. Okay, and we do have now, we were trying to get hold of Andy Sher while uh, while you were listening to that, and we have actually got him now, uh, our independent Shanghai-based economist Andy Sher, on the phone from Shanghai. Morning, Andy. Good morning, Peter. Uh, So tell me a little bit now about what is uh, the situation like in uh, Shanghai. The city had a plan to return the city to normal by the end of June. How is that progressing? Well, I I think uh, uh, it's really slowly. uh, It's kind of stuck. Uh, and uh, in some areas, uh, we see a little bit of progress, like some people are going back to the office. So office buildings do have people, not a whole lot. But on the other hand, uh, restaurants are facing more difficulties. When the reopening began, uh, restaurants could uh, serve outside tables uh, quite a bit. Uh, and also some restaurants were allowed to have uh, in-room dining with a limited number of uh, customers. Mm. I think that uh, the in-room dining has really been reversed. And out for, even for outdoor uh, uh, service, it's been curtailed. Uh, tables have been reduced. In some, uh, some places I see there only uh, there used to be lots of tables. Now only uh, maybe a couple are left. So uh, I, I, I suppose that uh, it's still a struggle. And is that because a lot of people are still actually locked down? Is that the reason why this is slow and why you say uh, that people are mm. returning to their offices, but it's still very slow? Yeah, I think that the, uh, the government, uh, everything is directed by the government. 
I think the the, the government uh, I uh, informs businesses uh, on what they can and cannot do. Mm. So, so you still have to get permission if you want to reopen. You can't just reopen your business. I I I think that the 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 people uh, at the beginning they uh, thought that uh, reopening a little uh, gave them uh, more, more more freedom. Mm. So uh, a lot of people jumped on it. Okay. And then I think that they were told by the government not to do. So, so what is um, what is happening with the consumer? The government, so the local government's been putting a lot of hope on the fact that consumer spending will rebound quite quickly. Is the shopper returning, and is consumer spending uh, rebounding in Shanghai? Oh, very, very, very slow. Uh, you go to uh, you go to uh, shopping malls. Uh, shopping malls are open, but you don't see a whole lot of people. I, I think that. Uh, I think like that uh, there there has been a huge income loss, uh, and uh, inflation is serious. Uh, all of this cutting into a uh, purchasing power, and uh, I think that psychologically, uh, people are not people are quite depressed. So I I, I don't see uh, a kind of a, a, com- a consumption coming back quickly. So this is very different then from 2020 when you had the first outbreak and then there was a very quick rebound, wasn't there? You're saying really this time there's been more long-term damage uh, done to the consumer, uh, confidence is down, and they lose, more importantly, they've they've, they've got a lot of lost income to try and make up. Yeah, I think a lot of businesses are are shutting down. Uh, There there will be a lot lot more to to shut down. It's been two years and uh, the, the latest lockdown hit business really hard. And then you you ask business to reopen. They tell them to to kind of cut, kind of cut a cut a service again. Uh, you know, back and forth, uh, a, a, a huge amount of money is lost. I think it did, a lot of businesses will will shut down. Mm. And you mentioned inflation. I mean, China's official uh, inflation rates, the CPI, uh, seems quite stable. Well, it was two point one percent in May, but is that? Is the real inflation rate that people are feeling when they go out and shop and buy things, is it higher than that? Well, uh, I, I think that when it's just 2 or two, 2%, 3%, people won't even notice, right? So mm. when people notice inflation, it's, it must be quite significant. Mm. And also the supply is still not very good. You go into the... Things are expensive and uh, uh, still uh, not not so available. You go going to supermarket, you don't see a lot of vegetables. And I think that uh, people uh, vegetables are really important uh, during the lockdown. People uh, people uh, all felt it. So uh, so I I think that the supply is still not 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 good. Mm-hmm. And psychologically, people are very depressed. I don't see how how quickly uh, that that can improve. So what does this mean then for overall for the uh, for the economy? We had the key economic data last week uh, for May. It showed uh, industrial production returned to growth. There was a decline in retail sales, but it had slowed. Fixed asset investment met expectations. When you look at the numbers, it seems like the economy, although it's not in great shape, it's not getting any worse either. But what's your thoughts? Well, I think that in terms of manufacturing, especially for export, it appears that uh, uh, in, in May it recovered, uh, recovered and it, it gained, uh, it, it kind of uh, recovered the loss uh, in, in April. 
but uh, uh, that's the factory sector, and because mm. workers uh, live live inside the factory, and they uh, don't 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 have, uh, have contact with the wider society, so the so-called internal circulation. But everything else, uh, it's it's very, really doubtful. You look at the property market; is it basically has collapsed, and uh, land sales. Uh, the government reports about a thirty some 30, around thirty percent decline, but actually has it really uh, really collapsed because uh, the land sales are mm. only only down by steel enterprises. So it's uh, from one pocket into into another. Okay. And and yeah, so uh, uh, you know, obviously with, with a property market like that, uh, a lot of basic industries uh, uh, face demand problems. Okay, Andy. Well, sadly, we've run out of time, but thank you very much for that update. That's Shanghai-based independent economist Andy Sheer. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio Three. Final look at the markets for this morning in Australia. First of all, the SX200 uh, that's flat, but the Nikkei 225 in Japan uh, is up slightly, up 0.1%. The Cosby is slipping. It's down about 1.3%. and looks like the Hang Seng is going to open 70 points lower this morning. Stay tuned for COVID update after the news with Jim Gould and Mike Rouse. I'll be back tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock. Let me give you an update on the weather forecast for this morning. It's going to be... Uh, going to be sunny intervals, one or two showers. Maximum temperature will be around 31 degrees in the urban areas, a couple of degrees high in the New Territories. Sunny periods and showers tomorrow. The temperature right now is 29 degrees, 82% relative humidity. 32. Here's Ben Che with a half-hour news. An independent China strategist Andrew Lang says on balance, incoming leader John Lee has assembled a fairly good team. The, the team comprises incumbent officials, seasoned civil servants and professionals from a diverse range of backgrounds. Mr. Lang said the chief executive designate would be hoping this team can help him achieve concrete results within his first 100 days in office. What John Lee wants to achieve, especially, is to show credibility in his first 100 days because that will be the test of people's confidence in his team because many of them are relatively unknown to most of the people. And I think that he has got to actually deliver some results. Of course, some of these deep-seated problems would take a long time to show results, but at least he can show progress on the partition units at providing some affordable private housing to eligible people and, of course, to manage the Macau has announced a mass COVID testing exercise after 21 coronavirus cases were found. All schools have been closed until further notice. Wendy Wong reports. Describing the situation as a state of prevention and control, the exercise aims to test everyone within 48 hours. Officials appealed to businesses, except supermarkets and markets, to close temporarily. Restaurants have been asked to only serve takeaways and residents to avoid gatherings and going out. Authorities also cautioned against panic buying, saying they would ensure a stable supply of daily necessities. Anyone who leaves Macau must present proof of a negative PCR test result obtained within the previous 24 hours. 
The UN World Food Programme has warned that it is having to reduce rations for people it supports in Africa because of a lack of adequate funding and rising needs. It says most refugees in East Africa have had their rations cut by up to 50%. In West Africa, the WFP has also significantly reduced the amount of food it provides. The war in Ukraine has driven up the price of commodities. And that's the news from RTHK. Good morning and welcome to COVID Update. I'm Jim Gould and your co-host today is Mike Rouse. Good morning, Mike. Good morning, Jim. Health officials have again sought to reassure the public that 